Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. For more information about Adventure Church, please visit our website at adventurechurch.tv. Now prepare your heart for a message from God's Word. We're in the series Assassins. You know, this time of year with Halloween coming up, you know, we're just kind of more aware of, of you know, the, the devil and evil, and, you know, and we've talked about how, you know, a lot of people think that the devil is this guy with, you know, the horns and the pitchfork, and that he, you know, comes out and jumps out and tries to scare us, and, but Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that that the enemy disguises himself as an angel of light, that he, he is a stalker and First uh, Peter 5 says that we need to stay alert and watch out for the devil, that he prowls around like a lion waiting to destroy us. And that's what assassins are all about. They use the element of surprise to kill their target. And that's what the enemy's trying to do with your life. He's not going to just, you know, tell you like, hey, these are the five things I'm going to use to really mess your life up. He's going to subtly get them in there and, and use those things to destroy your life. And so his purpose is to destroy. God's is to bring life and life to the full. So this week, we're going to tuffle, tackle the tough topic of lust. And as we've been dealing through kind of the seven deadly sins, and Galatians 5, 19 through 21, describes what our life looks like when we're allowing sin to control us and not the Spirit of God. And if you have your uh, phone, you can follow along on your app, you can follow along on the screen, but all of your notes will be in there today. Read with me in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. This has kind of been our foundational scripture for this series. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature... The results are very clear. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. He said, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so lust really encompasses sexual morality, impurity, and lustful desires and pleasures. And a lot of times when we think of the word lust, we immediately think of the physical side of lust, the sexual side of lust that, you know, well, this is an issue that the men, you know, deal with. I know some of you, some of you ladies in the room, as soon as I said lust, you know, you're, you're like, yeah, you know, this one's for you today. But it can, it can be for all of us because really the definition of lust is really this. It's a strong desire for something or someone. It doesn't have to be a physical desire, a sexual desire, oftentimes that's what we associate it with, but it really just means a strong desire. And any lust that is destructive, is, it consumes us, and there's two ways that it's, it's bad for us. There's lust that is out of bounds, and there's lust that is out of balance. And so I want to kind of lay a little bit of foundation from where I'm coming from with lust today. But an out of bounds lust is this, is a lust is a desire, an out of bounds lust is a desire for any person or object, or idea that is inconsistent with God's expressed desire for our life. And so God has a story, he has a plan, he has his word, it's put parameters around how we're supposed to live, and so an out-of-bounds lust would be something that would take us outside of what God's plan is and what his will is for our life. And so for men today, most times, you know, as the way that we're wired different from women, that we have an issue with physical lust. And so lust of the eyes, and a lot of times this is in a fantasy sort of way. So we lust for something that isn't real, that's not real. So impure thoughts that we, you may have, you know, uh, pornography is a rampant issue inside the church and outside of the church that many people struggle with that, addictions, you know, whether it be alcohol or drugs, where you lust for something, where you have a strong desire for something that is outside the will of God for your life. 
Matthew 5, 27 through 28 says this. Jesus said this. He said, you've heard it said, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust, a strong desire in his heart, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So men, oftentimes our deal with lust is a physical thing. Women, it's more of an emotional thing. So it's not fantasy necessarily, it's fairy tale. That you may not lust physically for someone, but it's the, it's the fairy tale life. It's the, the strong desire that you have your knight in shining armor. You know, that your, your husband is Ryan Gosling in the notebook, and you hope someday that you'll get Alzheimer's and that your husband will read your love story to you over and over and over again. And the six-pack he has wouldn't be bad either, right? But women aren't exempt from lust, and a lot of times it's the desire is just directed in a different way than men. And so you may have a strong desire for, you know, this, this, uh, this new house. You know, we're looking for a house right now. And so the strong desire that I need a better house. And, and maybe it's I have a strong desire that I want a kid or I want another kid or I want my kid to do this or I want my husband to be this way. And, and so this, this lust for you can be a little bit different. And the problem is, is that when we replace reality with fantasy, reality doesn't satisfy anymore. That we build this thing up in men and women where they, they lose contentment for what they have. And the, the, the blessings that God has given you loses its ability to fulfill and satisfy the way that he created it to be. Again, an out-of-bounds lust goes outside the parameters of the way God intended your life to be. We desire for things that God wouldn't desire for us. So the out-of-bounds lust does that. Then there's also an out-of-balance lust. And this is, this is a legitimate desire that blocks our ability to serve God and others. So it's, an, it's out of balance. That, hey, the desire that you have is okay, but it's out of balance. It's taking over from what God wants you to do. I've seen this happen with men in fitness, you know. The, the original intent was just to get healthy. Then they become, you know, it becomes a vanity thing. It's all about getting bigger. And a lot of guys get on steroids and they start doing things that are, you know, that's a legitimate desire to be healthy and to be in shape. But then that desire gets out of balance and it begins to take over and control their life. Becomes prideful. Maybe it's a promotion at work and so you begin to put everything into that. Not that a promotion is bad, but you put everything you have. That desire consumes you to where you neglect your other responsibilities to be a spouse and to be a good parent and all those things. And you know, maybe for women it's this strong desire to where being wanting to get married. For all the, the single ladies here today, that you have this desire that, you know, I want to be married, and that's a great desire. You know, it's a, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. But you have this desire to where you want this person, you want this partner, and it's a good desire, but it begins to control you and manipulate you where you base every decision on hopes of getting married, or maybe it's getting pregnant or a house. Again, those type of things that lead us outside of God's will. So we have an out-of-bounds lust that takes us outside of God's parameter. Then there's an out-of-balance lust where this, the desire to have something that, that is actually good for us if we can keep it in balance. And so one of the quotes I love about lust is this. I've heard it said before, but it says that lust will always lead you places you never intended to go and leave you places you never wanted to be. And you have the strong desire that's outside the will of God for your life. It will always lead you places where you never thought you would go and leave you places where you never wanted to be. The, the classic story in scripture that we can refer to as this is David and Bathsheba. 
where David was King David, the Bible described him as a man who was after God's own heart, so his desires were very pure. His desires were only for God and to serve God and to be this great king and to fulfill the role that he had. Well, one day he's up on his, his roof and he's, he sees this woman bathing and he has lust for her in his heart and he desires for her and that, that desire is outside of the will of God. She was married to another man. He calls for her because he's the king. He can do whatever he wants. So he then commits adultery with her. She becomes pregnant. Then she, he tries to cover up the pregnancy because he doesn't want people to find out. So he calls her husband back from war and tries to get him to sleep with his wife so that they will think it's their baby together. And he refuses to do it because he doesn't want to you know, hurt his brothers who are still out there on the front lines fighting. He says, I'm not going to you know, do something that they don't have. And so he denied himself that right and that pleasure to to be with his wife, and so then David has to cover it up, and so because he wouldn't sleep with his wife, he goes back out to the battlefield, and David makes sure that he goes to the front lines of the battlefield and that he gets killed. So he dies. And so then, you know, that this whole thing where it was just one lustful thought, one lustful desire leads to, you know, uh, adultery, it leads to pregnancy, it leads to murder, it leads to scandal and cover-up. Not only did Uriah, her husband, die, but his brothers that were out there fighting with him, David sent them into an unsecured place on purpose. Then, because of his disobedience, the son that she had ends up dying. David loses his reputation. He goes on this long road of suffering where his sons are trying to take the kingdom from him. And you can read the story. goes on and on and on. And finally, David's restored and all those things. But, but that one lustful thought and desire took him on this road that just led him somewhere that he never wanted to go and left him at a place that he never wanted to be. And so we have to make sure that we, we get control of our desires, control of that issue in our life, because if you're not careful, you could find yourself in the same spot as David, where one day you wake up and go, how did I get here? How did I get bound up in this addiction? How did, I, how did my wife and I's relationship grow apart for so many years? How did I end up here? And most of the time, we can take it back to a place where, where our lust took us somewhere where we never wanted to be. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, really helps us understand how we can defeat lust in our life. And I love about James is, is James was the brother of Jesus, okay? And so I don't know if James had, you know, this extra confidence because, of, hey, look, the dude's my brother and he's God, so I'm going to say whatever I want to say. But James was like this straight shooter. He just lays it out there straight. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He just gives you the truth. And here's what he says in chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. It says, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. Verse 4. He says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And Paul's here for a second. A lot of times we get confused with what God values. And we have to realize this is what, our, that what the world's culture considers acceptable is often drastically different from what the Bible says is acceptable for our life. So he's, he's laying it out here. He says, don't you realize that if you try to be a friend of the world, if you try to live within that culture and adapt to that lifestyle, don't you realize that it's making you an enemy of God? Don't you realize that how drastic of a difference it is to fulfill God's plan for your life and then try to fulfill the desires that this world puts in front of you all the time? 
He says, I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit of God has placed within us is filled with envy, but he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires? As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. So what does he say? What's the, what's the deal? If you have this battle, if you have these lusts, if you're, if you're fulfilling the evil desires that are within your heart and you're living part in the world, part for God, he says, what do you need to do? He says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. And so today we're gonna talk about, and this is really cheesy, but it's gonna help you remember, how to leave lust in the dust. You guys like that? That was divine right there. You don't even get it. How to leave lust in the dust. How can, we, how can we get lust completely out of our life? How can we make sure that this world where James describes these drastic worlds that we live in, and those of you, you watch a football game last night, you watch the Buckeyes destroy Penn State. Was that a statement game or what? Praise God. That the, hey, I, that's a legitimate prayer request right there. It's like if we don't have wins like that, we have no shot at a national championship. How sad would it be to go undefeated two years in a row and not get into the national championship? Anyway, tangent there. But... But when you watch a show like that, right, you watch the game, what does a commercial come on? What is selling the products that you have? They use sex all the time to pull you in, to try to sell you things. The world's way is sex sells, lust, fulfill your desires, right? Burger King says it, have it your way, right away, all the time, right? That's the world that we live in. It's all about feeding your flesh, all about serving yourself. And, and James is saying, look, don't you realize that, that the world that you live in, that if you adapt to that, if you accept those values and those cultures, that it actually makes you an enemy of God because the ways of God are so drastically different from the ways of this world that we have to make sure that we don't allow the lustful desires that this world sells us all the time to pull us away, to assassinate the story that God has for us. So James gives us some steps that we can take to leave lust in the dust. And the first thing you gotta do is this, very basic, is you need to repent before God. If you have an issue with lust, again, an out of balance or an out of bounds lust in your life, and you know what that is, God's the Holy Spirit will convict you of those things, and you have this desire that's, that's out of whack with God's plan for your life, the first thing you need to do is repent before God. You need to admit that you have a problem. Any AA group you go to, any steps to recovery, to overcoming things in your life, what is the first thing that you do? Every week, they stand up and they say, hi, my name is so-and-so, I have a problem. I have an issue, that's why I'm here. And we gotta come before God. Here's the deal, God knows that you have a problem. So you might as well just come clean with them and go, hey God, look, I'm not gonna allow pride or this world anymore. I have an issue and I need to deal with it. James said, so humble yourselves before God. Humility, getting before God in your quiet time, whenever that is, in your car, whenever you can find that time and just go, God, I got an issue here. I have a lust in my life, a desire that's pulling me outside of your plan for me. And it says when you do that and you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. So all those things the world throws in your face that when you humble yourself before God, you begin to admit that you have a problem that you can then begin the steps to doing that. Repentance is an ongoing process of sanctification. It's not a once and for all kind of event. Sanctification means becoming more like God. That all of us should be on a journey to be more like God, to become holy like him. 
And so that journey starts at salvation and it never ends until you get to heaven. That we're never going to be like God until we are actually able to be in his presence. And so that process of repentance isn't a once and for all thing. Because some of the issues that you've had, you've dealt with for a long time. And so you've got to bring them before God every day. You've got to continually repent before God. Keep a humble heart before God so that he can do the work in your life. The thing that we have to make sure that we don't do is confuse remorse with repentance. Because remorse is just feeling bad for what you've done. And most of us, if we have a deal that's outside of God's plan, a sin, an issue that's points away from God, we feel bad about it. We don't want to do that. But repentance means that I'm actually going to turn away from, that I'm going to stop, that I actually am going to do something to change. That it's not just going, hey, I feel really bad, you know, but I'm just going to keep doing it. I feel bad, but I'm just going to keep going. And the Bible says that God judges our heart, that he has a clear view of our motives. And so he knows where your heart is. And so we have to make sure that we don't just get remorseful, but we actually repent, that we turn away, stop, and begin to change. Now, as I was preparing this, this thing just kept popping to mind. It says, don't rationalize whatever your issue is. Just repent about it. Because that's what we tend to do, right? Even in our prayer time. Hey, God, you know, I'm really sorry that I've been struggling with this, but you know how it is. God, you know how, you know, my wife is, and you know, I, you know that, you know, and God, you know, I'm really sorry that I want this, but you know how that, that issue is at work. And, and so we, we tell God we're sorry, but we rationalize our thing. God just saying, eh, you know, don't rationalize, just repent. Just humble yourself before me and say, God, I need to change. I have issues in my life, I need your help, I wanna change. So the first thing you do is repent before God. The second thing you need to do, which is very difficult, is you need to confess to a friend. Someone you trust, someone you love. James five, so James chapter four says all that. Then James chapter five, he goes on in verse 16, he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful Results. So repentance before God brings forgiveness. You're forgiven. You repent, you're forgiven. Clean slate with God. That's how his grace and mercy works. It's not deserved. It's, it's not earned. It's freely given. So you repent before God, you get forgiveness. But confession, he says, brings healing. Confession actually will help you get over this issue and move on from it. It will help you to change. And why is that the case? Because he says, listen, you need to confess to someone so that they can pray for you. So that they can pray for you. A lot of people say, hey, will you be praying for me? You know, they come to me, I'm a pastor, whatever the issue is. And you know, I can pray for them. And so they, they tell me the issues that are going on. So my prayers are more specifically directed. And so when you tell someone the issues that you're faced with and the, the, the struggles that you have, and look, you don't air all your dirty laundry just to the guy sitting across from you at the cubicle. You know what I mean? Like this needs to be someone that you trust. Someone that you respect, someone that you know can keep confidence, and that, that would be an accountability partner for you in that way. You go, but here's the deal. Look, I just need you to pray for me because I'm really struggling with that. And when we come clean, there's something that, that's healing just about getting it off your chest and bringing someone into the loop on what you're struggling with. But he says, when they pray for you, when they're specifically praying for you, it says those prayers are powerful and they produce wonderful results. Some of you have been struggling with issues for such a long time but you've never really confessed them to someone and no one's really ever been able to pray for you in that way. And when you allow the power of prayer to begin to invade that situation and that desire that God can change you and change that, confess to a friend, 
You need to make sure that you submit your life to accountability. A few weeks ago, we had our men's breakfast, and I spent the whole time talking about the importance of accountability. That even in my own life, that I have a strict accountability with someone that who's in my life, and uh, the guy who was actually here that dedicated my son a few weeks ago, Maddox, Matt Reynolds, he's been my best friend since I was like 14 years old. He's a pastor, he's, he walks a similar path to me, and, uh, and he knows everything about me, the good, the bad, the ugly. And there's been days where I've had to humble myself, not just before God, but I've had to humble myself before my friend and say, hey, you know what, dude, I'm struggling here, and I don't like it, and I don't want to stay this way, but I need you to pray for me, and I need you to help keep me accountable. These are my goals. This is the direction I want to go with my life. God has an awesome story for me. The enemy wants to assassinate that. I don't want to give him any more power than he already has. Will you help me? Will you pray for me? And I have to humble myself. And today I want to tell you, make sure that you kill your pride before your pride kills you. Because pride keeps you away from God and it will keep you away from truly overcoming some of these issues in your life. Kill your pride before it kills you. So we uh, we repent before God. We confess to a friend, and then thirdly, very simple, you need to deny your flesh. Flesh kind of defined is simply anything that's kind of left over that keeps us away from the Spirit of God in our life, that keeps the Spirit from moving in our life. Galatians 5, which is kind of our foundational scripture, verses 16 through 17, and then verse 24 says this. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. That's kind of depressing, right? That no matter what you do in your life, that there's always going to be the spiritual side of you, the spirit of God within you, that says, I want to do right. I don't want to desire this thing. I don't want to do that. I don't want to sin. But it says, but the flesh, the thing that's left over that we can't get rid of until we are whole and sanctified before God, that these two things are always going to fight each other. It says that you're not going to ever be free to carry out the good intentions that you have. That your spirit and your flesh, you know, it's kind of the old school thing back, you know, and and they would put like the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other, you know, in the movies, and the devil would say, hey, do what you want, you know, whatever you want, and then the angel would say, no, do what's right, be good, you know, and there's this constant tension and battle. Well, that's a real thing. And so he says, what do you need to do to overcome that? It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed, look at your neighbor and say nailed, nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and have crucified them there. Denying yourself means that you take those desires and just as cross was, Christ was nailed to a cross, that we nail those desires to the cross with him. That in a, if we're gonna leave lust in the dust, that we have to do our part of truly denying our flesh. So when your flesh says, I want this, you say no. Jake, our, uh, on our team, he's one of our electric guitar players. He uh, competes in these, these fit, fitness competitions, whatever, or physique uh, he's not like a bodybuilder, but he's really in shape, right? And so like, I make fun of him all the time because the dude literally eats chicken and brown rice like every day for like two months to get ready for these competitions. And yesterday, he was, he was gone today, he was down in Cincinnati at this show competing in this competition. But I admire him and I tell him all the time that, dude, you deny yourself in such a way that I could never do. That I'm okay with a little bit here because I like cake, you know, like 
I like it. And when we have a birthday party, I want to eat it. And when we watch a football game, I want to eat that stuff. And I don't deny myself that. So I'll never have a six-pack, okay? Let's just be honest. Because I'm not willing to deny myself in that way. Where he has really denied his flesh to where he still has those cravings. All week he was posting pictures of food that was around. Like He would be like, oh, I want it so bad. But he would deny himself because the goal that he had was worth it. It's denying our flesh. And the Bible says that we have to deny ourselves. So when our flesh says, I want this, you say, no. I will crucify my flesh. I will nail those passions and desires to the cross. That we have to do our part. You know, when I was in middle school and high school, I went to church camp every summer. And, you know, God did awesome stuff in my life. And and part of what it was is that you totally removed yourself from a lot of the outside worldly desires that you were in. So the friends that I had that would want to party and do things, I didn't have those desires because they weren't there. And the other issues that I dealt with, you know, TV and computers, all that stuff was completely gone. You were at camp, you were, you were busy, it was nonstop stuff going on, you were in service every night, you were worshiping, you were Bible studies, small groups, like the whole week was you're just immersed in the things of God. And I would literally just, at the end of the week, and it would be hard because you say goodbye to your friends and it's so much fun, but the thing that I dreaded most about leaving church camp was that I had to go back into a world where those desires would be there again, that my flesh would have opportunities to feed itself. And I just say, God, why can't I live at church camp? It's so easy here. I don't have all the same temptations. I don't have all the same desires. And, And I would slowly find myself going back into the same issues and things that I struggled with because I didn't learn how to deny myself and to deny the flesh. And so here's the deal with this, is that you will always have to fight your flesh, always. Paul said in Galatians, you're never gonna be free from this conflict, this this war that's waging within you, and so you have to learn how to fight. And here's the thing, in any kind of battle, what you feed will win. So you have to starve your flesh. You have to starve it. Those issues, those things in your life that are, are, that are struggles for you, what you feed will always win. If you begin to feed your spirit, you spend time in the word of God, you're consistent in church, you're plugging in, you're joining a community of people. That's why we've established this church. We wanna have a community where people can come to. And on Sunday mornings, man, it's a time that you're refueled, that you're re-energized, so that when you do go back out into the world that you're ready because you've been feeding your spirit. And so when your spirit is strong, you can deny your flesh. But if you continue to allow those things, you continue to do the things that feed your flesh, your flesh will win. So what are you feeding in your life? Some of the struggles that you have, you have to go back to, am I feeding my spirit or am I constantly allowing myself to gratify the desires of my flesh? So you have to deny your flesh, then you have to then define your boundaries. For many of us, we need to define our boundaries. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says, run from sexual sin. Did it say walk? Did it say just hang out for a little bit, see what happens. It says, run, run. When you're in a situation where you're tempted like that, he says, run. It's a fire alarm, the building's on fire, you better get out. He says, run from that stuff. Run from those issues, those lusts that you have. Get away from it. He says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one. For sexual morality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and is is given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. 
Run from the things that are going to affect you and hurt you in a negative way. Run from it. It says, don't mess around. Don't flirt with it. If, if, if I came here right now and I did this cool illustration and it went bad and this room started to fill with smoke and it was on fire and you felt in danger, you all are going to be out the back door, right? Hopefully go get your kids first, you know, but then you're going to be out of here. Like, I'm out. There's a fire. There's danger. I need to, I need to get out of here. And it's saying, don't you realize that how dangerous some of these things are that you're dealing with? That the enemy is using them to really assassinate your life, and if you just continue to, to just dabble a little here and there, that, that you're going to get burnt. If you mess with fire long enough, you'll get burnt. We need to run from it. So you need to define boundaries in your life. And boundaries simply create order. They create parameters for you. Imagine you go home today, and you turn on the football game, and there's no out of bounds. There's no boundaries. It's just whatever you want. And the players can run backwards and sideways, and, and you know, it's kind of like you know, back in the day when you would, I don't want to say what the game was, and I don't know another word to describe the game. It was smear something, and, and you would just throw the ball to someone, and you would run, and it was just crazy, right? There was no chaos. You don't even win. No one wins anything. You just get tackled, and someone else gets tackled. That's kind of what our life begins to look like. And we, we find ourselves in this, this thing where, where we haven't created boundaries and defined, defined order in our life, and so our life is chaotic because boundaries create order and not chaos. So what are the boundaries that you need? Maybe for some of you, you need to delete your Facebook, that there's been a relationship established on there and that it's just a little Facebook flirting right now, but I'm telling you right now, they're saying that 50% of all affairs are started on Facebook now because it's so readily available, easy to do that. My wife has my password to my Facebook. She can get on there anytime she wants. Facebook is a, is a way for me to connect with many of you. I use it all the time. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but for some of you, you need to create boundaries. Give your wife the password. Whatever you gotta do, create boundaries. Maybe, maybe it's you know, certain people that you're hanging around with that they continually are pulling you away from the, the desires that God has for your life and you, you wanna overcome alcohol and you wanna overcome some of these addictions, these strong desires that you've had and you keep hanging around the same people and you find yourself keep pulling down into that. So the question you got to ask yourself is who influences who? Do you have the influence over them to where you can go into an environment that you're tempted in and you can walk away without falling into sin? Or every time you're around that person or those group of people, you're finding yourself being influenced by them, going back to those desires and things that you have, creating boundaries. For some of you, you know, pornography is rampant in the church and outside of it. I have accountability on my computer. It's a free software thing that is through triplexchurch.com. Make sure you put the church in there if you Google that later. Uh, triplexchurch.com. It's free accountability software where you can install it on your computer. So any site that you go to that they deem to flag it as having keywords that would, would be leading you somewhere that you don't want to be, anything that I look at that has those things sends an email directly to my wife and sends an email directly to my accountability partner. It's that simple. So guess what? I don't look at anything on the internet because I don't, one, I want to please God and I'm a pastor, okay? But secondly, I don't want to have to go home and face my wife if I do. I don't want to hurt her in that way. I don't want to make her feel that way. And so I put accountability in my life. It's free for you to do that. It's humbling ourselves before God, submitting to accountability. If you truly want to overcome the things in your life, the things that are pulling you away from God that the enemy would use to assassinate you, 
you got to get serious enough to say, you know what, I'm going to bring accountability in my life. I'm going to make sure that I don't do these things. I want to change. That's repentance, not remorse. I'm sorry, I don't, you know, but I don't really want to change. No, I'm repenting before God. So I'm going to deny my flesh. I'm going to define boundaries. I'm going to make sure that I'm setting my life up in a way that I can be successful in what I do. Define those boundaries today. Then the last thing that we need to do, first thing is we need to repent before God, admit we have a problem, continue that process. Repentance is an ongoing thing that we do before God. It's not a once-for-all event. Then we confess to a friend, and, and that allows them to pray and bring healing and accountability. We deny our flesh. We starve it. We don't feed it. We deny it so that our spirit can win out and have control over us. We define the boundaries that God wants us to live within that will keep us accountable to ourselves and God and the things that he wants for our life. And then lastly, what you need to do is renew your mind. Renew your mind. Change the way that you think. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says this. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Remember we talked about that. James defined that. We can't be a friend of the world and a friend with God. We have to choose who we're going to serve. He says, don't conform to these patterns, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Changing the way that you think. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Some of you have battled with thoughts, and I'm not just talking about sexual desires, impure thoughts, things, desires that are outside of the will of God for you. And you have these thoughts that are always popping in, and you, what do you do? The Bible says that we are to take captive every thought that's not of God. So you, you have that thought, then you, you capture that thought, and then you submit it to the will of God. So if you have a thought of saying, you know what, I have, I'm lusting after something, a woman, I say, God, you know what, that's not of you. So God, I take that captive, that's not from you, that's the enemy trying to tempt me, and your word says that I'm more than a conqueror, and that what you've given me and my wife is, is, is awesome and perfect, and so God, I submit to that today. I capture it, and I submit it to God's will for my life. So what, in order to get rid of the old, we have to come in with something new. Out with the old, in with the new. So you get rid of the old thoughts, the worldly thoughts, the culture thoughts, then you replace it with new thoughts. And where do we get that? It says the renewing of your mind comes from reading the word of God. The truth. So the enemy, right, he's the assassin. He has you targeted. And so what does he shoot at you? The enemy shoots bullets of lies. That you, your wife isn't good enough. And you'll never get those thoughts out of your head. And he fires these shots at you. Your kids will never succeed. You'll never be able to accomplish this thing. God's will won't happen for your life. And he fires these shots at you. The bullets of the assassin are lies. And the Bible says that we conquer lies with the truth of God's word. So you defeat lies with the truth of God's word. And the Bible says the truth will set you free. So many of you have been captive to these thoughts, captive to these desires, that the enemy has been controlling your life with these things. And it says, how do you get free from that? You replace the lies with the truth of God, and the truth will set you free. The word of God, the truth of his word, will set you free. Uh, I used to have the opportunity, I've worked with youth for so long, and many of you struggle with these things, just insecurities, they just battle with, you know, all these issues, and so I would tell them all the time the same principle, and I was speaking at a camp a few years ago, and uh, down in Florida, Panama City Beach, I was roughing it for Jesus that week, um, 
but I was preaching at this retreat, and, and so I, I told them this, and, and the whole message was built around these phrases right here, is that the truth of God is this. The truth of God's word is, is this right here. I am, I can, and I will, because God is. I am, I can, and I will, because God is. How do you renew your mind? How do you do that? How do you transform it? How do you change the way that you think? This is what you start telling yourself. The Bible says, I am a child of God. I am blessed by him. I am favored by God. God does love me. I can overcome these temptations that I have because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can overcome this addiction because the Bible says that because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, that I can be set free from these things. And you begin to tell yourself this, and you say, I will stop doing this. I won't do this anymore. How can we do all those things? Because God is. Because he is for you. And he does love you. And he does have a plan. And today, maybe the Holy Spirit's been convicting you, and don't mistake conviction with condemnation. He's not condemning you. You're not in this fight alone. All of us have our issues that we're fighting through and dealing with. But what God is saying today is that you can overcome these things, that you don't have to live this way. You don't have to allow the enemy to assassinate the plan of God for your life. You you can overcome. You will overcome because Jesus went to the cross. The worship team's gonna come and we're gonna close out today, but I don't know what your desire is. If it's something that's out of bounds to where you know, you know the parameters that God has set up for his word. We know that sin is sin, and, and maybe some of you, it's a, it's, a, it's a sin that has been pulling you outside of God's plan for a long time, and you've battled with that. Maybe for some of you, it's an out-of-balance thing, that it's a legitimate desire, but, but you continue to want things, that, and, and they begin to consume your thoughts, and they keep pulling you away from what God has for you. And so today, I don't know where you're at, but God does. And God doesn't condemn you. God doesn't cast you aside. He doesn't say you gotta clean up before you can come to him. What did James say back in chapter four? He says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. How awesome is that? That's the awesome picture of God's love for you today. That even though you struggle with this and you may go, man, if God knew what I thought, he wouldn't even let me. He does know what you think. And he still loves you. And he says, what do you, James says, look, all of you, you, you got these battles. The world is here and God is here and, and there's this constant tension. What do you need to do? He says, draw near to God. Submit, humble yourself before God. Draw near to him. And it says, when we take a step of faith to say, God, even though this is the way I am, God, I come to you just how I am. God says, that's all I need. And he embraces you. And he accepts you with all of your faults, with all of your struggles. And he says, let's begin this journey together. Let's start working together. We can overcome. You can because you're my child. You will overcome because I'm gonna be with you every step of the way. I have a story. I have a plan. Don't allow the enemy to assassinate that. If you'd bow your head and close your eyes with me today. I don't know where you're at, but God does. But maybe some of you are here and you go, Kyle, I'm not in right relationship with God. I'm away from God. I'm dealing with this. I'm struggling with this. I'm not repenting before God. I need to repent. 
I need to come clean on some stuff with God. I have sin in my life that's keeping me away from God's plan. And I want to deal with it. I want to humble myself today. I want to come clean before God and ask for Him to help me and to forgive me.